Chapter Nine of Peccavi by E. W. Hornung. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A duel begins. Late in the afternoon of July thirteenth, a Lakenhall fly rattled through Long Stow and waited in the rain outside the rectory gate, while one of the occupants ran up to the house. He was such a short time gone, and so few people were about in the wet that the fly was on its way back to Lakenhall before the Long Stove folk realized that it was the rector who had upset prophecy by showing his nose among them in broad daylight. He had done no more, however, nor was anything further seen or heard of him during the month of July. It appeared that he had returned for some private papers only. The rectory was locked up by the squire's orders, but the rector had forced his own study door and his muddy footmarks were confined to that room. The same evening he went up to town and disappeared. But his address was known in an official quarter, and all day and every day he might have been discovered in the reading-room of the British Museum, a memorable figure stooping amid mountains of architectural tomes and drawing or copying plans in the few inches of table-land they left him, all with the nervous eagerness of face and hand not daily to be seen beneath that dispiriting dome. Then the call came, and he was tried in the consistorial court of his own diocese, before the Chancellor thereof, at the beginning of August. No need to record more than the fact. The proceedings were brief, because the accused pleaded guilty, and his own word was the only evidence against him. The sentence was that of suspension foreshadowed by the bishop. The Reverend Robert Carlton was formally suspended ab officio et beneficio for the period of five years. The result was reported in the London papers. There was only matter for a few lines. Mr. Carlton was suspended for five years, was the concluding sentence in the Times report, and that was good enough for Sir Wilton Gleed. It was a happy omen for the holidays, which began for him that very day. The family were already in the country. Sir Wilton took the last train to Lakenhall and drove himself home for good in the highest spirits. Four miles of the five were over his own acres, and every one of them was crumbling with rabbits in the rosy dusk. Later, the larkspur and peonies on the dinner-table were as the very breath and blush of the gorgeous English country, and a thrush sang its welcome through the open window, and a nightingale trilled the tired Londoner to sleep, but he dreamt of a pheasant that he had heard calling between Lakenhall and Longstow. In the country Sir Wilton was an early riser, and he was abroad next morning while the shadows of the elm still stretched to the house and quivered up its bare brick walls. The great lawn was dusted with a milky dew, in which Sir Wilton positively wallowed in his watertight boots. It was not his least delight to be in shooting boots and knickerbockers and soft raiment once more. The first few minutes of the more excellent life produced an unseasonable geniality in the breast of Wilton Gleed. The man was a human being, and he longed for companionship in his joy. But Sidney never rose before he must, nor the gardeners either, it appeared. In the stable-yard a groom was encountered, 
but Sir Wilton had seen his face every day in town. He went out into the village, and naturally turned to the left. The cottage doors were open, and they were filled with homely figures that touched a cap or curtsied as he passed with a pleasant word for all. It was good to be back, to be a little king again. Sir Wilton pulled the cap over his eyes, because the sun was in them, and admired the ripe wheat in the field beyond the post-office, the barley in the field beyond that. So he passed the Flint House on the other side with unruffled mind, and was passing the Flint House meadow before his thoughts took the inevitable turn which led to profane mutterings through shut teeth. But this morning it did not lead quite so far. This morning, with the scented air of England in his nostrils, and a twitter in the ears from every thatch, even Sir Wilton Gleed could find it in his heart to pity the sinner fallen from his high estate in what was paradise enough for the squire. Poor devil, he said, as he came to the rectory gate and saw the long grass within. It was sufficiently in key with the old quaint rectory in its rags of ivy and its shawl of disreputable tiles. The windows were still broken and the shutters shut. Otherwise the picture was as alluring as its fellows to the lord of the manor. The trees that hid the church at midsummer would screen its ruins for many a day. Sir Wilton entered to refresh his memory as to the minor damages, and they changed his mood. Who was to pay for twenty-nine panes of glass? No, he had missed a window. For thirty-three. He was a man who did not care to spend a penny without obtaining his pennyworth. But he was not clear as to his legal obligations, and he bristled at the idea of paying for the immorality of the parson and the excesses of his flock. He had paid enough in other ways. And there was the church. Who was to rebuild the church? They might expect him to do that once he began doing things, and the man fell into a premature fuming between his love of the lavish and his detestation of expense. Meanwhile he had found a whole window, that of the study, and the door beside it stood ajar. This he pushed open as though the place belonged to him, his view in so many words, and stood still upon the threshold. "'Well, I'll be damned!' he cried at last. Robert Carlton sat asleep in his chair, his hands in his overcoat pockets, the collar turned up about his ears. His boots and trousers were brown and yellow, with the dust of the district. In an instant he was on his feet, scared, startled, and abashed. "'So you've come back, have you?' "'An hour or two ago. I walked from Cambridge. I don't know how you heard.' "'Heard? You must think me in a hurry for your society. No, this is an unexpected pleasure, and I use the words advisedly. It's something to find you don't have to come twice in broad daylight.' "'I have come on business as before, but this time the business will occupy more than a few minutes. I wish to get it in train with as little fuss as possible. Then I was coming to see you, Sir Wilton.' It was quietly spoken, without bitterness or defiance, but also without the abject humility which had trembled in the clergyman's first words. The other made some attempt to modify his manner. Nothing could put him in the wrong, but he realized that it might be as well to abstain from mere brutality, and what he had just heard implied a certain reassurance. 
"'I see,' said Gleed. "'You have come to make arrangements about your furniture and effects. "'I'm glad to hear it.' "'My furniture and effects?' queried Carlton. "'What arrangements do you mean?' "'Well, you can't leave with them here, can you?' "'Why not, Sir Wilton?' "'Why not?' echoed the squire, turning from pink to purple with the two words. "'Because you've been disgraced and degraded as you deserve. "'Because you're the hound you are. "'Because you've been suspended for five years, "'and I won't have you or your belongings "'cumber my ground for a single day of them.' "'So now you know,' continued Gleed in lower tones, "'his venom spent. "'I didn't think it would be necessary to tell you my opinion of you, "'but you've brought it on yourself.' Carlton bowed to that, but respectfully pointed out the difference between suspension and deprivation, his tone one of apology rather than of triumph. "'I don't say which I deserved,' he added, "'but I do thank God for the mercy he has shown me. This gives me another chance, in five years' time. Meanwhile, I am not only entitled to keep my furniture in the rectory, I believe I may live in it if I like.' Gleed stood convulsed with wrath redoubled. He had been too busy in town to prime himself upon a point which could not arise before he went down to the country, and here it was awaiting him. His disadvantage alone was enough to put him in a passion, but the last statement was monstrous in itself. "'I don't believe a word you say. I don't believe a word you say. A man who can live a lie will tell nothing else.' Carlton drew himself up, his nostrils curling. "'Better go and ask your solicitor,' he said. "'I have forfeited the right, as you well know, to the only possible reply.' "'Rights apart,' rejoined Gleed, his colour heightening by a shade. "'Do you mean to tell me you would seriously think of remaining on the very scene of your shame?' "'I didn't say I would do anything. I said I believed I could.' "'You have done enough harm in the place. "'Surely you wouldn't come back to do more.' "'No, if I came back at all, "'it would be to undo a little of the harm, "'to live it down, Sir Wilton, by God's help,' said Carlton, "'and his voice shook. "'But I do not mean to live here. "'I have spoken to the bishop, and his advice is against it, "'though he leaves me free to follow my own judgment. "'This afternoon I hope to speak to you. There is another matter which is really a duty, so that I can be in no doubt as to what to do there. It will not involve my remaining on the spot, or obtruding myself in any way. But the church has been burned down on my account, and I intend to rebuild it before the winter." "'The church is mine,' said Gleed savagely. "'I don't want to contradict you, Sir Wilton, but you really should see your lawyer on all these points.' "'The land is mine.' "'Not the church land, Sir Wilton, "'and the rector is not only entitled, "'but he may be compelled to restore and rebuild "'within certain limits. "'Your solicitor will turn up the act "'and show it to you in black and white. "'And after that I think you will hardly stand "'between me and my bounden duty.' "'I don't recognize it as your duty. "'Your first duty is to resign the living lock, stock, and barrel,' if you've any sense of decency left, but you haven't, not you, you infernal blackguard, you. Gleed was standing on the drive, his arms akimbo and his fists clenched. 
his flushed face thrust forward and his stockinged legs planted firmly apart. It was Carlton's lithe figure which had been filling the doorway for some minutes, but at this he strode upon his adversary and towered over him with a hand that itched. "'Why must you insult me?' he cried. "'Do you think that's the way to get me to do anything? Or are you bent upon having me up for assault?' For heaven's sakes, remember your own manhood, Sir Wilton, and respect mine. Don't trade too far upon my readiness to admit that I am all men choose to call me. Have a little pride. I am ready to take my punishment and more. I will keep away from the place as much as possible. If I can let the rectory, that will be so much more money for the church. Don't oppose me if you can't help me by your countenance and I grant you it's more than I have a right to expect, at least be neutral, and let me work out my own salvation in my own way. It will make no difference to the past. It may make all the difference in the future. God knows I can't reinstate myself in his sight and in the hearts of men by building a church. But I can leave behind me a sign of my sorrow and my true penitence. I can leave behind me a name and an example bad enough in all conscience, but yet not wholly vile to the very last. And think what even that would be to me, and think what it would be if I could but pave the way, not to forgiveness, but to some reconciliation with those whom I have loved but led amiss. Well, that may be too much to hope. No, I have no right to dream of that. But at least let me make the one material reparation in my power let me do my duty. When it is done, if you and they will have no more of me, then you shall all be rid of me for good. Gleed wavered, partly because in mere personality he was no match for the other, partly because the prospect of a new church for nothing made its own appeal to the man who had counted the cost of the broken windows. His mind ran over the pecuniary scheme and detected a flaw. "'And what's to become of the parish for the next five years?' he asked. "'Who's to pay a man to do your work?' "'There's the stipend I cannot touch, and would not if I could. "'A part of that will doubtless be set aside. "'Until the church is habitable, however, "'the case will probably be bet by one of the curates coming over from Lakenhall "'and taking a service in the schoolroom.' "'And how do you know?' cried Sir Wilton, not unjustifiably. "'The bishop sent for me,' said Carlton, and his eyes fell. "'I ventured to speak to him on the subject before I left. "'Do you think I don't care what happens here in my absence? "'I hope the services will begin next Sunday, the building next week. "'I have worked the whole thing out. "'I could show you the figures and the plans. "'The new ones are ready, if you can call them new.' I shall be my own architect as before the, for the transepts, but the rest shall be exactly as it was. We'll see about that, said Sir Wilton grimly. He knew those melting eyes, that enthusiastic voice. They had brought their hundreds to this man's feet before. They might do so again. Even the squire felt their power in his own despite. It is my one chance, the voice went on in softer accents, do not ask me to forego it altogether, but I will keep in the background as much as you like. All I want to know is that the work is going on. Suppose I did resign and you appointed another man. 
Why should he give towards the church? Why should he come where there is none? Let me build the new one first. Has it come to letting? I understood I couldn't prevent you. No more you can, although... We'll see, cried Gleed. That's quite enough for me. We'll see. But Sir Wilton... Damn your butt, sir, shouted the other, shaking with rage. You disgrace the parish and you won't leave it. You come back and set yourself against me and think you can do what you like after doing what you've done. By God, it's monstrous. There's not a man in the country who won't agree with me. You'll find that out to your cost. Build the church, would you? I'll see you further. Law or no law, I'll have you out of this. I'll hound you out of it. I'll have you torn in pieces if you stay. I have already told you I don't intend to stay, said Carlton quietly. I only intend to rebuild the church. All right, you try, you try. And with his fixed eyes flashing, and his fresh face aged with anger, but scored with implacable resolve, Sir Wilton Gleed swung on his heel, and so down the drive with every step a stamp. End of chapter 9